Welcome to KJV Cafe, where the truths of God's Word come alive. Grab a hot cup of coffee or tea and spend some time learning about our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Listen now to Pastor Clark Covington of Heartland Community Baptist Church as he explores great insights from the Word of God. How does what we do impact what others say about God? How does what we do impact what others say about God? That's what I want to talk about here today. Giving the enemies of God an occasion to blaspheme. You know, our behavior, we, uh, it doesn't just affect us. It actually can affect the reputation of God Almighty. And if you're not familiar with the term blaspheme, it means to speak in a way that shows irreverence for God. This is when people swear or cuss God. Uh, it's words against God. And, you know, when we sin, we give enemies of God an occasion to blaspheme. That's what I want to talk about here today. You know, you might say, Brother Clark, well, that doesn't sound very fun. It, you know what? It, it can be a blessing, and here's how it can be a blessing. We realize how close we are to God, how related we are to God, and how our actions uh, can affect uh, the way that God is viewed. And that shows you that we really are part of the kingdom, that we really are part of the church body. So it is something exciting in that sense, and it is a word of caution, and it is something to help and bless those that want to hear it. Amen. That Those that uh, take time to hear it, I should say. Amen. And our text verse is 2 Samuel 12, 14. How a bit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. So our text verse, 2 Samuel 12, 14, is dealing with David's sin uh, when he had an affair with Bathsheba and killed Uriah the Hittite, her husband. And this here, this text verse, if you look at it, 2 Samuel 12, verse 14, how a bit... Because this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. So what we see here is David's sin led to a consequence. And yes, there's a consequence for him. He's going to lose his firstborn. But it's also a consequence that the enemies of the Lord, they're going to have occasion to blaspheme the Lord. Well, that's not good. I mean, have you ever thought about your sin in that regard? That if you are sinning, if you are living not right, that enemies of God could see your behavior and then blaspheme God on basically on your behalf for what you did. You know, our, our sin, it, 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 there's a ripple effect to it, right? And we know uh, that it can gravely hurt us, but it also can create a larger issue in the church body, in the kingdom of God. And that's what we see here in 2 Samuel 12, 14. That's what we're going to talk about today, an occasion to blaspheme. Are we giving the enemies of the Lord an occasion to blaspheme? Now, just to kind of catch you up on what's happening here in 2 Samuel, David, he sees Bathsheba and he desires her. And that's the sin of lust. And I mentioned to our congregation when I preached this, that, you know, that's not really the first sin that David uh, might have made in this uh, situation, because I've heard good preaching on the fact that David wasn't at battle with his comrades and that his first sin could have been idleness. So maybe you've got the sin of idleness. He's at home while his comrades are at battle. Then he sees Bathsheba and he desires her. That's the sin of lust. He sends for her without praying to God. Oh man. So you've got lust in your heart. What do you do? You pray, right? 
You pray, you say, God, remove this temptation. God, don't let me look upon this woman. God, don't let me get driven into this situation. Lord, Lord, deliver me from this. Lord, strengthen me. No, he sends for her without praying to God. That's the sin of loving yourself more than God. He loved his desires more than he did his God. And you know, what's interesting there is, uh, I believe David was a very smart man. Uh, you read the Psalms and you know how deep and poetic he, he is and smart and brilliant and the father of Solomon, obviously the wisest man that ever lived according to the Bible. Uh, David probably knew that when he sent for Bathsheba, that him being king, whatever was going to happen would happen. So David had the sin of loving himself more than God, but also probably some kind of sin of having a foreknowledge of what was to happen and still doing it. That might be ignoring God. So David has an affair with Bathsheba, the sin of adultery. David sends her husband into battle to get killed. So Uriah the Hittite, uh, it's like he, I don't know if this is a great example, but he was kind of like the Navy SEAL uh, of David's kingdom. He was part of the Navy SEALs. There's a whole section there in the Old Testament that deals with the mighty men of David's kingdom. And Uriah the Hittite was on that list. And David sends him uh, into the hottest part of battle uh, and he is killed. And of course, before he goes to battle, uh, David tries to get him uh, to go back to his wife to, uh, to to basically say that, you know what, if his wife being pregnant, uh, because I forgot to mention that happened, she's pregnant, that if uh, he were to go back to see her, then he could, then David could blame it on Uriah. But Uriah was so loyal. He said, I can't go back. My men are still in battle. I'm going to stay here in the palace until I go back to battle. And so David has the sin of murder by having him sent off into the hottest part of the battle to have him killed. Then he's unrepentant. And so he hasn't repented for it. And he's got the sin of pride. Uh, and then he's confronted uh, by the prophet Nathan uh, via the parable of the rich man. And David wants to kill this rich man for being abusive and malicious. And that's the sin of hypocrisy because he was, in fact, that man. Uh, and then David is given a second chance after repenting. Without repentance, he would have died. And the consequence of his sin is the death of his firstborn to Bathsheba. Uh, and who died from David's sin? Uh, Uriah the Hittite. Who was Uriah the Hittite? A mighty warrior of David's kingdom, God's chosen people, Israel, and a loyal one. So we've got deaths here. Also in this scripture, it mentions that um, David's family will be by the sword and there'll be uh, turmoil there. And there was great turmoil with his kids trying to take over his kingdom and death. And, and he's having to run away from the palace. And it was a mess. And uh, literally, when David's mentioned later on in the Bible, the only asterisk to David being a mighty man of God was this incident. So this great sin uh, is something that God allowed to happen for a reason. And one of the reasons, I believe, is for us to look at it. And when you look at the deep richness of this sin and you realize how much David loved the Lord and how far he had fallen into sin in this regard, that he almost died, that God almost took his life, uh, and then what we see here in 2 Samuel 12, 14, how a bit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. So it's not, uh, all this sin is not just encompassed in this, in this uh, verse, but it's obviously very important to the Lord that the enemies of the Lord, of him, are not blaspheming him because his children are out of line. Uh, you've probably heard a preacher say once or twice, well, if that person doesn't straighten up, the saved person, God's going to take him home early. 
Or they'll say, hey, uh, Matt, are, are they going to go to heaven if they're living in sin? Yeah, they may go early, right? You hear that, the Lord taking his children, troubled children home early. In fact, in Revelation, it talks about uh, taking away that candlestick and, and getting people away uh, from the world because they are not doing what God's called them to do. And so we see this, but we also see this idea of giving enemies occasion to blaspheme. And uh, it's, it's very grievous. You know, uh, David gave the enemies of the Lord great occasion to do this. And it's not the enemies of David or mankind or anyone else, but the enemies of God. And, you know, uh, if you are like me here today, you love the Lord and God's enemies are your enemies, are they not? You know how I am nowadays? I look at somebody, uh, especially a corporation or political group or whatever, and if they are uh, an adversary to God, then I find they are an adversary to me. Amen. I don't I don't want to deal with it. Now, I try to witness to them and be a witness. I try to show love and kindness. I try to turn the other cheek. At the same time, I remember the scripture, if you're not for me, you're against me. Amen. If you're not for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're against him. You know, so if you're a lukewarm Christian, you got one foot out, one foot in, you're against him as far as I can tell, because you got one foot in the world and, and uh, you know, you can't serve God and mammon. There's all kinds of scripture that shows us that we have to choose sides, right? And when we choose sides and we say, we're on team Jesus, we're on team Lord Jesus Christ, then we don't want to give our enemies an occasion to blaspheme our God. Uh, and so that begs the question, who are the enemies of God? Uh, well, let's look at it. Firstly, anyone that disobeys God's commandments, anyone that sins, Colossians 1.21, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So anyone that disobeys God's commandments, they are an enemy of God. That's what Colossians 1.21 says. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. This Colossians 1.21 also shows the other side of this. And this is my hope and prayer for all enemies of God, that they see that how rich in mercy he is. They come to him, they come to a saving knowledge of him, and they're beautifully translated. And that is our whole goal here as Christians, I believe, to glorify God and to win others to him through the working of the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of the gospel. So those that disobey God's commandments, they're the enemies of God. And the unsaved are also the enemies of God. Romans 5.10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Amen. So the unsaved are enemies of God. Romans 5.10, Paul writes, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we accept him as our Lord and Savior. We, we understand fully that Jesus Christ took our sin debt and him being perfect took upon, sin, took upon our sin on his shoulders and died on that cross and was buried three days and resurrected miraculously from the ground and walked the earth 40 days and 40 nights and ascended up into heaven and is at the right hand of the Father being seen by over 500. We understand that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we understand we are, uh, we make him our own, we get saved, then we are part of the church body. We are saved. We are Christ's. But if we don't admit that, or if we reject the free gift of salvation, right, and then we are enemies of God. We are not saved. So the enemies of God are those that don't uh, follow his commandments and those that are not saved. And so what we need to look at here today is 
How are we uh, potentially giving the enemies of God an occasion to blaspheme or talk bad about our God? You know, the Bible says that God is a jealous God. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Really think about this. Are you jealous over God like he's jealous over you? Are you jealous over God in the sense that anyone that offends your God, you're offended by? Uh, anyone that wants to come against your God, uh, you, you uh, are, are hurt by and you, you are, are uh, defensive over your God. Are you jealous over God? Or are you participating with the pagans, with the backsliders, with the unsaved in all of these things that grieves the Lord? Uh, you know, I won't go deep into this, but, you know, if you spend a ton of time at a bar, right? And these people are getting drunk and rebellious and cussing and there's drugs there. And, you know, is that godly? Is that of God? Is that uplifting to God? Is that how God designed man to be? And what does God design man to do? Is that edifying to the family? Is that edifying to the church body? Look, I'm just being honest here. We need to live for God and in our actions need to show that, right? And uh, alcohol is just one way uh, that it that it can grieve the Lord. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when I was thinking a couple of, I think it was two years ago, praying about where we we're going to take our family on a summer vacation, we got young kids and I just didn't have peace on a lot of places that we, you know, we like to go to the beach, the mountains, any, any place that you'd probably like to go. And I was praying and the Lord just wouldn't give me peace on a lot of these places. And we're trying to look for a good deal. Amen. And, uh, you know, just this sweet, small spirit kind of just, it just moved me. The Lord didn't want us in a place that glorified alcohol. And so since then, we've tried to go to, you know, family campgrounds and places that have, uh, you know, Christian values or little ministries there on the campgrounds and so forth. And we choose to vacation in those places because, not just, oh, it's going to be uh, good for the family, it won't be loud at night, but to honor God. You understand? We don't want to be yoked up with the enemies of God, and we don't want our behavior to reflect poorly on God. As a pastor, you know, I have to hold myself to a high standard because I don't want my behavior to make someone else say something bad about God. And not just the pastor, the congregation, anyone, you, everyone else, we must, anyone that's saved should be living a life honoring to Christ. We are mirrors of Christ. Uh, so firstly here, our testimony in God, our testimony in lives matter to God. How we live matters to God's name when we hold the title Christian. You know, think about this. Have you ever thought about the idea of a family name? You know, I have a son, CJ, he's four years old, and let's say he goes and robs the neighbor, and he runs in the neighbor's house, and he steals the neighbor's cookie jar, okay? And uh, let's say on his way out, the neighbor tries to stop him, and CJ, he's quick, he runs under the neighbor's legs, and the neighbor falls down and breaks their leg, okay? Uh, this didn't happen, this is all hypothetical, CJ is, uh, he's not, hopefully not a crook, amen, I don't know, but uh, hopefully we're praying for him, he's not, four years old. Uh, but let's say he did that, you know, word would get around town and it would be more than just CJ did something wrong. It would be the Covington family is not right. And there's something going on there. And what's up with his dad? See, now we're children of Christ. And when we act poorly, people will speak of our father, our heavenly father and say, aren't they Christians? Don't they go to so-and-so church? Aren't they involved in the ministry? And they're acting like that. 
See, it gives the occasion for enemies of God to blaspheme. You know, we have a family name. Uh, you know, we are all parts of the body of Christ and we're saved and we need to live for God fully, holy. You know, when David murders a man, it brings shame to God as David is known as a man of God. David was known throughout that whole area as a mighty man of God. So when he did these wicked things, it brought shame on the name of God. We are held to a high standard because God's standard is perfection. What God expects is not what an earthly parent accepts. No sin is acceptable to God. You know, uh, some earthly parents might say, ah, oh, my kid, you know, acts a little bad here and there. It's okay. And I know it varies from parent to parent. No sin is acceptable with God. And he holds his saints to a high standard. He knows that we are, have a, uh, the Bible word would be uh, Adamic nature from Adam, right? We have a sin nature. God knows that. He knows the context of our lives. He knows the fiery darts we face. He knows the trials and the snares. Amen. He knows what we go through and he knows we fall short. That's why he gave us repentance. That's why he gave us the idea of not just salvation, but sanctification about going to Christ, repenting each day, getting in his word, getting that fresh anointing, getting that spirit renewed. Amen. That's why we have those things. And at the same time, God is not making sin acceptable. Now you say, Brother Clark, how can sin not be acceptable and me be a sinner and still get to heaven? Well, that's the idea that when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that he paid our sin debt past, present, and future for all time. One time for all time. That's why we believe in eternal security. Amen? But nobody is too good to follow God or too bad to be forgiven by God. We're all eligible participants and we all are all living in God's program. Welcome to KJV Cafe, where the truths of God's word come alive. Grab a hot cup of coffee or tea and spend some time learning about our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Listen now to Pastor Clark Covington of Heartland Community Baptist Church as he explores great insights from the Word of God. So ask yourself, do you live in a way, even in private, that brings God shame? That brings shame to God's name? You know, what David was doing was in private, was it not? He was privately lusting after her. He was uh, privately doing other things scheming and so forth. What we do in private, oh, it'll be made public. And if you really want to get particular about it, there's scripture in there when Nathan, I believe it's Nathan the prophet talking to David in 2 Samuel mentioning, look, what you did was in private, but what I'm going to do to you, this is God speaking through Nathan, what I'm going to do to you will be public. So what we do in private, does it bring shame uh, to, to God? Does it bring uh, away an occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme? Are we giving God's enemies such an occasion? Not just our sin, uh, you know, it doesn't just hurt that whole situation where it makes it difficult and it makes it hard uh, to win souls and, and, and it ripples out, but it also messes with our well-being. Our testimony matters to our wells well-being. You know, David's personal loss. What did David lose? He lost a mighty warrior in Uriah the Hittite. He lost probably many nights sleep. He lost fellowship with God for a season. He lost um, peace in the future because surely the sword wouldn't have come to his family the way it did afterwards. And he lost a child. You know, I, I've, I've been through that. My first child, 
my wife, uh, we, we miscarried. I'll never forget. My brother was getting married and we found out, uh, that the, the number of whatever it was, hormones or something else was going down when it should have gone up. And man, that was just heartbreaking. And, and yet, um, that loss teaches us something, does it not? And that's a great loss. And David suffered, uh, deep personal loss from his sin. And at the same time, I use this exact scripture to reassure myself that I'll see that miscarried child again in heaven because uh, David was mourning when his child was alive. But when God took the child's life, he got up and cleaned himself up and ate. And his servants asked, why are you mourning when the child's alive, but now you're eating and so forth. And he said, well, I can't see him uh, here, but I'll go to see him there. Something to that extent. And the idea is that these beautiful children that God takes home uh, at an early age like this, or the pre-born or the born and so forth, all those children are in heaven. I believe it here today. All those children, all those aborted babies, all those miscarried babies, all those stillborn babies, they're in heaven. Amen. If you've had that happen, hey, rest assured God's got a plan and that child's taken care of in heaven, that that child is spared uh, a life here on earth, if I could say that, and they're in glory and we'll see him one day. David said he'll see uh, his child one day. Amen. And I believe I'll see mine as well. And, uh, it's funny. I've got a sister, uh, that, uh, that my mom uh, had miscarried that she'll be there. Uh, Jean Viez. Uh, and then, uh, my wife, she's got a brother. Amen. We believe he'll be there. Amen. We believe this today and I hope you do too. And, uh, that's a little bit of a sidebar, but the point is that our sin, and I, I, I don't know, everything about sin. But what I do know is when we sin, we not only give our enemies and or God's enemies an occasion to blaspheme him, but we suffer loss. We suffer regret. And uh, it's like a very bitter situation because as we suffer loss, we can see what we've done to the Lord's name. And here we are trying to lift him up and we do something so bad and so sinful and we're bringing shame upon his name. We'd never want to do that. And, uh, we don't have to do that. If we think ahead of time, we don't have to do that. You know, can I ask you, why don't we think of the consequences before the sin occurs? You know, what force would keep you from thinking of the consequences before you sin? Ah, that's the father of all lies, right? Uh, the author of confusion, the devil. You know, he doesn't want you to think of the consequences of sin. If David had thought of the consequences of his sin, I would believe he wouldn't have done it. Amen. He wouldn't have done it. He'd say, nope, not for me. I'm king. I could have many wives, but not that one. And uh, he didn't think of the consequences of his sin. And so many, they don't. And that kind of goes back. I listed off all these sins. And one of the sins I listed off was the sin of lust. And there's scripture on this that, you know, when lust, it conceives and brings forth sin, right? And of course, we know the wages of sin is death. And uh, that lust, and when, you know, you feel that lust coming on, whether it is for a drink or whether it is for drugs, or whether it is for uh, pornography or whether it is for um, vengeance or whether it is for lying or stealing or coveting or whatever lust that comes in your heart. Think of the consequence of that sin. You know what? If, it, if the consequence uh, to you is not grave enough to scare you straight, 
Think of it to the gods you love. Amen. Don't let the devil trick you and make you think God doesn't care or God's not around. He's around. He's present. Amen. The Bible teaches us that when we're saved, we get the Holy Spirit and we don't want to grieve that Holy Spirit. And so finally here, what I want to talk to you about today is giving the enemies of God an occasion to praise. You know, we, speak, we spoke here about giving the enemies of God an occasion to blaspheme. We spoke about the consequences to the, the, the name of the Lord, what we could do to the kingdom by doing bad, okay? And you can go through all the headlines of any Christian that's done something bad and sinned and see what it does where it gives the enemies of God occasion to blaspheme. We've talked about personal consequences of sin and what those things happen and how the hurt that happens. And now I want to talk just for a few minutes about the occasion to praise. Can we give the enemies of God an occasion to praise? That's what we should be doing, amen. You know, that's the opposite of giving the enemies of God an occasion to blaspheme, giving them an occasion to praise. You know, this is scriptural. Lift Jesus up and he will call all men unto him. John 12, 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Our purpose is to glorify him. We were created in his image to be mirrors of Christ. Look, this is fantastic. You know, just twist everything around. Can we, you know, can we live a life that's so honoring to God? Can we live a life that testifies to the strength that he provides in our life and the blessings, the sweet blessings and the peace that surpasses all understanding Oh, and that godly guidance and provision and providence. Can we testify to not just what he's given us, but what he's protected us from, what he's kept us from? Can we testify to who we used to be and what he has made us? Amen. Can we do that in front of the enemies of God? Could, would they not look to him and say, wow, this God, he's amazing. And I know there's a lot of scripture on this as well, where you'll see even the enemies of God just look and say, oh my goodness, imagine, take David, imagine the look on the Philistine's face after David killed Goliath with a smooth stone. Can you imagine? They must have said, that little person over there, his God is very powerful. Look at Rahab, the harlot, when the spies came to visit, she said, look, I've heard of your God. I know who your God is. He's a mighty God. Okay, and she lived in enemy territory, right? Um, think of uh, Herod when he's trying to kill Jesus. I mean, uh, he knew who God was and he knew how powerful God was. Or Pharaoh, and Pharaoh would send all these plagues. It was a testimony to the goodness of God. Moses and Aaron was giving, they were giving Pharaoh and everyone in Egypt a testimony saying, our God is the God. Our God is a powerful God. Our God is amazing. Amen. He's so good. He is so good. And what are we doing to tell others about him? What are we doing to give even the enemies of God an occasion to praise him? Number one, evangelism. You know, we need to be about winning souls for Christ. You know, of course, the Lord does the saving, but we plant those seeds. We need to be evangelistic. Don't let COVID or anything else tell you you don't need to be evangelizing. You do. Get those gospel tracts. Uh, get on social media. Get everywhere you can and tell them about Jesus. Again, if his name is lifted up, he will draw all men to him. Uh, so evangelism. Another one is conduct. We can give uh, God's enemies an occasion to praise him through our conduct. You know, our unusual uh, conduct, our peculiar conduct in this sinful world by, you know, how we have that great conduct by following his commandments. They make us righteous by following his commandments. You know, the Bible says, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's what Jesus says. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments by our forgiveness. You know, what does forgiveness look like in a world full of violence and vengeance? 
just forgiveness. You know, even the media, the mainstream media, if you will, they'll publish a story on that because it's so unusual. They'll say, oh, that person forgives. And then you testify, I forgive because I've been forgiven. Amen. Living sent apart. What a witness we can be when we don't give in to the ways of the world. And people, you know, they say, what? You don't want to come to Margarita night? What? You don't want to come to this worldly concert? What? You don't want to see this worldly movie? No, I'm set apart. I love Jesus. I'm just living for Jesus. I don't want to do anything but just live for God and praise his name and our testimonies of his goodness in our lives, speaking the truth of God's greatness to all. You know, I, I don't have time here today, but there's scripture in Revelation talks about overcoming by the blood of the lamb and by their testimonies and loving not their life unto death. Amen. When we live for God and we testify to his goodness. It can give even the enemies of God an occasion to praise him because it is otherworldly and God is given us the Holy Spirit to be otherworldly, to live in a way that's unexplainable and can testify to his glory, his grace, his mercy, and his power. But we must be meek. We must be under control. We must be with that horse with a bridle on. We must keep ourselves just together and living for God and not be running wild, not be living in sin, not be quick to speak and slow to hear, but rather slow to speak and eager to hear, quick to hear, being doers of the word, not just listeners or readers of it, but actually doing it. That's what we need to do here today. And I hope that this message has inspired you to live for Christ wholly and fully and never give the enemies of Christ any reason to say anything bad about him. And that they all they could do is just praise him. And if we do that, amen, what a testimony to our God and what rewards await us in heaven. Thanks for visiting the cafe today. Our goal is to inspire you with the truth and depth of God's word in a straightforward manner. Do you know Jesus? You can today. Visit kjvcafe.com to learn more about God's great plan of salvation for all of mankind. Until next time, remember, as Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 puts it, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness.